First Timothy three. We're going to start there. First Timothy three. And we're going to read in verse 14. First Timothy three, verse 14. It says, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, spiritual son. It says, these things I write to you that I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Notice that it says that you should conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, what is the house of God? It says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Now, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is a heart for his house, a heart for his house. Now, we preach messages about this before about the church and I love my church and my church the importance of church, and it's something that it's easy for me to preach this because I've been in church my whole entire life, so I've known this since I was a young kid. Maybe some of you haven't known this because you didn't grow up in church, Uh, but I love church, and I know know if people grew up in churches they didn't like, then they probably couldn't say that, Um, so I realize when people say I love church, most people are just like, church is weird, church is whack. It's boring. I don't want to be there anyways. But uh, I love church. I love God's house. And I have since I was a little kid uh, to be in the house of God. And the house of God is important. And it doesn't matter what anybody says in the culture or the news or anything else. The church is still the hope of the world. The church is still the solution to the world's problems. Especially not Clinton or Trump. (laughs) Lord, help us. The church is the solution. The church is the hope of the world. The house of God is the solution to the world's problems. And the thing is that the darker it gets out there, the more obvious the church is the solution becomes. Because they realize government doesn't work. Rehab doesn't work. Education doesn't work. We live in a super educated society, and education is not doing much for people's lives and for their peace and for their joy and for their mind and for their family. They're educated. They make a lot of money, but their life is a mess. So they're realizing more and more that there is a solution, but it's not what they thought it would be. It is the house of God. It is the church. The church is the most important thing. On the planet. It's what God is building. Jesus said in Matthew 16 that I come to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But notice he said, It's my church. My church. Jesus takes it personal about his church and his house. And it's important to Jesus. And so if we say we follow Jesus and it's important to him, then it should be important to us. If he says that he loved it and he gave himself for it, then if we love him, we will love what he loves and give to what he gives to, which is his church. Because that's what God is using to change the world. Now we could say God's changing the world, but how is God doing it? God uses people. God uses his church to change the world. He doesn't just do it. He uses human beings to change the world. That's his plan. That was his idea, not our idea, to use his people to change the world. It says we're co-laborers with him. So we're going to talk today about the house of God, the church, the importance of it, and why you should believe that. Because a lot of people know what they should believe, but they don't know why they should believe it. And so when somebody questions it, they kind of start backpedaling on what they believe because they don't really know why they believe what they believe. So the thing is that God has always been looking for a place for him and his children. We know that the Garden of Eden in the beginning was the house of God. It was the place where God and his family dwelled. And we know this, your house is where 
your family dwells, where you live. And God wanted a place for his family to live, and that was planet Earth. That was specifically in the beginning, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were. That was the house of God. That was the place that God dwelled with his family. But we know sin came, and it happened, and it separated man from God. It separated that relationship that God had with mankind. And so we see that all throughout the Old Testament that there is types and shadows of the house of God. And God would build a house so he could still be with his people and his presence could still be a part of their lives even though they had sinned. And so uh, we see uh, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he visited those men and he, we know that in the beginning, he visited those men, and at least one time he calls it Bethel, which is meaning the house of God. The place that he met God was called the house of God, Bethel. Called that place Bethel. And we see that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob dwelled with God. They met with God. They were in God's house. They were in God's presence. But we know it went on, and Moses delivered God's people out of bondage from Egypt. And there was hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of God's people coming out of Egypt. And they went into the wilderness. We know that we, they went into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness was not the destination for them. The promised land was, but they were in the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years. Now, this is just a funny side note. Um... The other day, I was quizzing Natalie on Bible trivia. And I think she got two different stories mixed up. Uh, Because she was doing good. She was going 100% on this Bible trivia. And I said, uh, we were talking about Jesus. And she said, Jesus went to the cross. And I said, okay, how long was Jesus on the cross? And she said, 40 years. (laughs) I said, well, you're close. But... I think you got two different stories mixed up. The Hebrew children were in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was only there for three days. But, but she was doing good up to that point. <laughs> and so I asked her again later, and she said 40 years again. So maybe we need to talk to the teachers in the back on what they're teaching them. I was like, well, he wasn't even 40 years old. He was only 33 years old, so... He wasn't there 40 years. He was only there three days on the cross. Three days. That's not that long. And 40 years is God's people were in the wilderness for 40 years. So she got her stories mixed up. So anyways, they were in the wilderness. And um, a lot of us know who Moses is. And we know that him parting the Red Sea and all the miracles that God did with him and the Ten Commandments. But Moses went to the wilderness with God's people. Like I said, there's hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of God's people in the wilderness camped out, and God wanted to be with his people. So God said he wanted him to build him a tabernacle or the house of God. So what happens is, and you can read this in your own Bible, the details that went into the tabernacle are amazing. And God is very specific on how he wanted his house, how he wanted it to look, what kind of material he wanted to be used, the measurements of God's house. He was very particular about it because it's important to him. God's house is important to him. So we see that Moses and the nation of Israel, God's people, built a tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, they built this tabernacle in the wilderness so they could meet with God and be in God's presence. And if you know anything about the tabernacle or the temple, is this, that there was different levels of the temple. There was different layers, really, to the temple. There was the inner court, the outer court, and the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies is where God's presence dwelled. And only one person could go in there, and that was the high priest. And we know that the only way you could even get into the tabernacle is you had to offer sacrifices. Sacrifices to appease God for the sin in your life. And so we know that they would give sacrifices so they could go in and be in God's presence. But only one person could actually be in God's actual presence 
in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. Indiana Jones, anybody? Anybody seen Indiana Jones? Okay, there we go. Um, so he went into the Holy of Holies and went into God's presence. But notice, God wanted to be with his people so bad. And he wanted his presence to be on his people so bad. He had him build a tabernacle in the camp where they were staying. And even though that only a few people were allowed into the tabernacle and especially into the Holy of Holies, God still wanted to be involved with his people even though they were wrong. Hello, somebody. He didn't have to. They're wrong. He's not. But he loves his people so much, he still wanted to be involved in their life and still wanted his presence to be involved in what they were doing. Now, this is something that's really interesting, and you can look this up on any kind of map about the tabernacle in your Bible, is that God had the tabernacle, which was the house of God in the Old Testament. He had them build it in the middle of the camp. Not the outside of the camp. The middle of the camp. Now that's on purpose. That's not on accident. God had them build the tabernacle in the middle because he wanted his house to be the center of their life. Come on now, somebody. Not an addendum to their life. Not a, if I can get off work, I'll be there to their life. Not if I don't have too much homework, I'll, I'll make that service. No, he wanted the tabernacle to be the center and the focus of their life. The house of God should be the center of your life, not at the outside of the camp. He wanted it to be the focus. So wherever you went in the camp, you know that in the middle of the camp is God's house and God's presence. And all of us, our lives revolve around the house of God. Now, let's just be honest today. We could say today in 2016, a lot of Christians don't live anything like that. The church is an add-on to their life. The church is something extra they do. The church is something that I'll get around to if I can make it. The church is something that we don't think about first. We think about, you know, I'll get there if I can get there. I'll be involved if I can be involved. What kind of attitude is that? Let's just be honest this morning. What kind of attitude is that? Is that a heart for God's house? When we live our lives like that? Well, I'm too busy. Too busy with what? Too busy with what? In light of eternity, are those things you're busy with right now going to matter? They're not. It's so quiet in here, isn't it? You're thinking. We got to ask ourselves these questions. I'm not being mean. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm asking an honest question here. God's house in the Old Testament, it was the center of everything. And we know that there was 12 tribes in Israel. And all 12 tribes camped around the house of God. Because the house of God was the center. The house of God was the focus. The house of God was the most important thing they had going on in their lives. The question I'm asking is, is it the same for you? Because a lot of times it's not. And the thing is about that, God is so gracious and so merciful. He will work with you even though you're not giving him 100%. He will help you. He will do things for you, even though you're not giving your best effort. But that's just something to ask ourselves. Is he really the center? Is his house really the center of our lives? Everything else should be added on to that. If I have time, I'll fill in the blank. But the house of God should come first place. But a lot of times it comes last in people's lives. I don't know. Why we think like that about the house of God? Because we would never say that out of our mouths. We would never want to imply that to somebody, but our actions say that on an ongoing basis. The thing I realized about this, you know, when it comes to school, work, other stuff like that, is the reason we do that and we put it over church is because you're getting paid at work. 
getting grades at school. And for some reason in our head, those things are more important than being in God's house. Because you're thinking, what do I get out of it? Quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. Just some honest questions this morning. But is our heart really in his house? And I don't mean quit your job and quit school because some of you young people are like, yes, he said quit school. Be at church all the time. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, where's your focus? Where's your priorities? What's the center of your life? Do you base church events there in the first place and then if you get around to everything else, then you get around to it? And if you don't, you don't. Looking back at my life, I'm 29 years old. Um, The uh, homecoming games I didn't get to go to in high school, I'm not upset about it now. Was then, punched a wall. (laughs) You're laughing, but there's a hole in the wall. Yeah, Joe fixed it, so it's all good. Thank you, Brother Joe. The things you thought you missed out. Come on, older people in here. The things you thought you missed out in high school. Do you think about it anymore? No, you don't. You don't. You don't think about it. The activities you missed out, the hobbies. No, what you remember is what God has done in your life. The things that you received in the house of God. The friends that you have in the house of God that will be with you for life. People come and go. People change. But the people that have been in the house of God, that's your real family. Your real friends. I'm just saying you need to do a heart check every once in a while. And see what your priority is. And it's always not just school and work. It could be hobbies. Could be clubs you're joining. Could be mowing your lawn on a Sunday morning for some strange reason. Why would you do that? <laughs> Don't even act like you like to mow your lawn anyways. Why would you do that on a Sunday morning? But the tabernacle, notice, it was in the center. It was in the first place. The house of God was the most important thing in their life. And they based their entire life around what happened in the house of God. Question is, is it the same for us? And the thing is, when you live like that and God is the center, you realize that it's not a selfish thing that God is asking for that. He's trying to help you. And the more you give Him your life, the more He can do in your life. The more you get your priorities in line with God, the more he can move in your life. The more you put him at the center, the more that God can do things in your life that you've never imagined before. So it's not a selfish thing that God even asks for our time and our attention. It's because he's trying to help us. But he knows we have a free will. We can do whatever we want to do. But God knows best. God knows best than everybody in here. And if he says that this should be the center and the focus of your life, then it should be the center and the focus of your life. Now, you know what I'm saying here. I'm not talking about getting weird and some kind of cult thing that you're here every night of the week and you don't talk to anybody else that goes to this church. You know what I'm saying. But you do need to have your heart right towards the house of God. And it should be the main thing in your life. The house of God and the people of God that go there. Because we know the house of God is not just a building, it's the people. So the tabernacle was in the center of the camp because God wanted to be center. He wanted to be first. Now we know it goes on and David and Solomon built a temple for God. Later on when they came into the promised land and they got to Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about David and Solomon some later, but we know that they built him an actual temple in Jerusalem that was massive and it was full of gold and silver and precious uh, gems and stones. And it was made of wood and all these expensive materials. And we know that the house of God was a temple in Jerusalem where God's presence dwelled. And we're going to talk about that some later today, but 
we know that it goes on and when Jesus came to earth, he was the house of God. It was no longer a place you could go, it was a person. And Jesus, when he was here in physical form, he was the house of God. He was the presence of God. He was the fullness of God. If you wanted to be in God's presence, you needed to be in Jesus' presence. Because he was and is God. And he was a physical representation of the house of God walking around. But we know that Jesus, when he died, when he rose again, he ascended to heaven. And he sent the Holy Spirit to us. And he began something called the church. And the church is the house of God in the New Testament. The church is the house of God in the time we live. Now, this is something that we think about the house of God. Because the only reason that... This building is the house of God is because we're here. You realize if tomorrow we sold this building to somebody down there across the hill and it just became a regular business producing stuff, this place would no longer be the house of God. God's presence would no longer be here. It's only here because we're here. And we know because of what Jesus did, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in all of us. So every person in here that is saved and has the Spirit of God living on the inside of them, you are a walking house of God. Because the presence of God dwells in you. But there is also something else in the New Testament, and that's what we're talking about today. That God says, when my people come together, we make up. The house of God. Yes, you are the house of God by yourself, but there's something special that happens when we come together. We make up the house of God, and we can do more together than we can do apart from each other. And there's something that happens. I'm preaching. There's something that happens better when we're together than when we're apart. There's a stronger anointing. There's a stronger presence of God. There's more that can be accomplished when we're together in the house of God. And you can't separate the two. Yes, you are the house of God, but you can't separate yourself from the house of God. You come together, the community of God. That is the way that God set it up. That is the way that God planned it. That's why it's so important. We talked about life groups last week. There is no possible way you can live this life and do it by yourself. You can't do it. Nobody can. God said it himself. You say, well, I only need God, but God said it himself. You need actual people in your life. Physical human people that will challenge you, that will pray for you, that will encourage you, that will get in your business when you need somebody to get in your business, that will call you when you're not at church, that will come to your house and beat the door down if they haven't seen you in a month. Hello, somebody. You need somebody in your life like that. There's so many people, if they disappeared for months, nobody would even notice. That's a problem. If I wasn't here for a couple days, I know people would be looking for me. That's a good thing. You need people in your life like that. And that's what the house of God is. And you can't do it by yourself. Nobody can. And nobody ever will. You won't make it by yourself. The most prideful thing you could think in here is I can do this Christian walk by myself. You can't. You can't do it. Try. You can't do it. Because God said you need each other. And there's certain things that you can't get by yourself. There's certain things that you can't accomplish by yourself. Are you listening this morning? There's certain things that God can't bring into your life because you need other people. You need people speaking into your life. You need people encouraging you. And you need to be that person for somebody else. And so we know that the church started in the book of Acts when God's Spirit was poured out in the early believers. And it's been going for the past 2,000 years. And the church is still alive and well in 2016. In every country, in every continent, in every island on the world, there is a church and there is people preaching the gospel and there is believers around the world. There is 
two point something billion people believing Jesus, what we're experiencing right here on a Sunday morning in New Albany, we're not the only people involved. Sometimes you could think it's just us. No, it's not. There is billions of people on the planet in countries you never heard of before worshiping Jesus this morning who pray like you, who read the Bible like you, who praise God like you, all around the world. And they're the church. That should encourage you. What you're a part of is so much bigger than you. It's so much bigger than this church. It's so much bigger than all the churches in southern Indiana. It's bigger than the churches in Louisville. It's bigger than what we realize it is. The church of Jesus Christ is bigger and it's better than it's ever been in the world right now. And you know why God did that? Because he did it on purpose. He did it on purpose because he knew the condition that the world would be in right in this period of time. So he knew he had to have a church like this to be able to be a light in a dark world. You getting something this morning? I've gotten way off my notes, but it's good for you. (laughs) So the house of God. The house of God in the New Testament is the church. 1 Timothy 3.15 Let's read this again. 1 Timothy 3.15. It says, I write so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Notice, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The house of God today is the local church. You realize that every letter written in your Bible was to a local church. Every letter written to an individual was a leader in a local church. There was never a letter written to an individual who was just doing their own thing, living their own life, apart from the community of God. It doesn't happen. Why? Because God set it up that way. So we see that every letter we read in our Bible, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those letters, those are written to local churches, communities. Every leader he wrote to, Peter, Timothy, Titus, were leaders in the local church, not apart from it. That's how important the local church is. That's how important the house is. Of God is. It was God's idea. This is not just an organized religion. This is not just something to get money from people. This is not just something to take up your time. This is the house of God. The church. The church is the most important thing. Jesus died to have a church. And he's building his church. The house of God. We see that the house of God is so important all throughout the Bible. But we realize this, to get real practical, like I said earlier, we all in here are the house of God because we house the presence of God. But we need a building or a home for the family to dwell. We need buildings to facilitate the house of God. We know that it's a lot easier to listen to this message this morning with a microphone. It's a lot easier to listen to this message sitting on the chair. It's a lot easier to listen to this message with AC being pumped in here. It's a lot easier when you don't have your children in here, they're back in classrooms, so you can actually pay attention to what's going on. And so... There's so many people that will try to argue about that. Say, well, you know, the house of God, it's not a building anyway, it's people. Yes, you're right. But we still need buildings and facilities and parking lots and equipment to help the gospel and help people receive what God is doing. So we have to have it. 
And if you say we don't, then let's go sit in the field and get eaten by bugs next week. It's not going to be fun. We're not going to like it. We're not going to enjoy ourselves. And you're going to come crawling back to the front door. Let me in. I need a chair and some AC. The thing is, I don't know why people think so weird about church, but no other area of their life. It's okay for the banks to have the nicest buildings in town. It's okay for the Fortune 500 companies to have the best buildings, the best sound systems, the best equipment, the best computers, all of the best things. It's okay for them, but not the church. Why? It's okay for the Yum Center to have millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment and sound system and basketball goals and seats and concession stands. It's okay for sports teams to have that, but church, oh, that's too much. Too much. Why? (laughs) Why? Why would the bank or the Fortune 500 company or the sports team or the school, why are they allowed to go extravagant and have the best of the best, but the church, come on now, Come on, the church, it's okay, that'll do. Why do we think that way? When out of all those things, the best of the best should be in the house of God. The best parking lot, the best building, the best sound system, the best classrooms, the best chairs, the best facilities should be the house of God. Why? Because it's not for just one person. It's not just to make money. This place is for God and for people, so it should be the best of the best. See, why do people think weird? They don't think anything about any of those other places having the nicest facilities that they can have. People applaud when a school spends millions of dollars to upgrade, but then get mad when a church upgrades. Oh, it's so awesome, that new bank. So expensive, marble floors, awesome. But if a church had that, oh my gosh, they're stealing money around there. What kind of thinking is that? Are you seeing what I'm saying? That's weird. I'm not talking about being wasteful. But we are saying, have you read the Old Testament, the house of God? It was worth billions of dollars in today's money. Why? Because they realized this is not just for a person. This is for God. (laughs) And if it's for God, it should be the best. And if, if it's for God, it should be the most expensive. If it's for God, it should be the best quality. If it's for God, it should be the best that we can do, not the least that we can do. Once again, it's all about priorities. Why would we give our best to our school, to our bank, to our company? Oh, it's great. Oh, donate to them. Oh, do that for them. But then the church, too much money. It's too nice. Why do we think that way? When it's God's house, it should be the most important thing. Should be the best thing. It should be, and which is this is good about our church family, and this is a compliment to all of you. We know this. When people come by our church, we've got so many compliments. Man, you guys have awesome signs. We've got compliments. Man, the landscaping at Church on the Rock is so beautiful when we come by. People that have been in our our church, in our sanctuary, in our classrooms, they say, man, this is such a nice church, such a beautiful church. There's so many people that have wanted to get married here because they think it's so beautiful. That's a compliment to all of you because it matters to people. It matters how things look because we're doing it for God. We're doing it for God, and we're doing it for people that come in that don't know God. I tell you what, there's so many churches that are run down and beat up, I would never think about going there. Based off the sign, based off the outside of the church. Because you know what you're going to get when you get on the inside. But notice, we should give our best to the house of God. 
Because it's for God. This place is for Him. And we need buildings. We need facilities. Not to waste things because it's for God and it's for people. And you know, in the future, when this place gets bigger, we'll need to have bigger buildings and facilities. They cost more money than it's cost before. But it's all for a purpose. And it's not to have buildings to be empty. It's because there's going to be people there that need God. Are you guys still here this morning? You getting something? Let's look at John 2. John 2. Still here today. Still glad you're here today. Okay. That's the, that's the main question. You need answered. So, in John 2, and we're going to read here in verse 17. Now, how was Jesus' attitude about church or the house of God? Well, Jesus loved the house of God. We know when he was 12 years old, he was in the house of God talking to the smartest men of that day about the Bible and astounding them. He was 12 years old. Of course, we know his mom and dad left him on the road trip, and they were looking for him for a couple days. And they came back and they found him, and where was Jesus? Jesus was in the house of God. He's 12 years old. Talking the word of God, like I said, with the most intelligent people about the Bible of that day. And astonishing them at how much he knew and could explain about the Bible. But notice where he was. He was in the house of God. And when his mom and dad said, why are you here? What's going on? We lost you a couple days ago. What happened? He said, I got to be about my father's business. It shows his priority right there. He was in the house of God and he said, I got to be about my father's business. Now, any other child would get slapped in the face if they said that. If you got lost for a couple days. But he was Jesus, so he got a pass to say that to his mom. I got to be about my father's business. I'll tell you about my... Okay. (laughs) But he's Jesus, so he can say that. It's okay. But notice where he was. 12 years old already, he loved God's house. And he was in God's house, and he said, i got to be about my father's business. It says in the Gospels, when he was at church, it says that he went to church as his custom was. As his custom was. As his habit was. He went to the house of God. He went to the temple on an ongoing basis because he knew it was important. And it said that Jesus was in the house of God as his habit was. So he wasn't just a once a month attender. Every other month attender. He was somebody who was in the house of God. And we know that he was even in the ministry of helps because he got up to read scriptures at his local church. He got up to read scriptures. So he was even involved in the ministry of helps. Did you know that Jesus was involved in ministry of helps? But in John 2.17, and I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation because it really stands out in the New Living. In John 2.17, it says, Passion for God's house will consume me. Passion for God's house will consume me. And why he said that right here is because people were selling stuff in the temple, not for the right reasons, for the wrong reasons. And Jesus had to throw some people out. And they said, Jesus, why are you acting like this? And he said, passion for God's house will consume me. He loved the house of God. So let me ask you this. Could you say that this morning? Passion for God's house consumes you? How many times do you think about the house of God? How many times do you think, Hey, you know what? Maybe I could give a little bit extra here. Or maybe I could get involved in ministry helps a little bit more here. Or maybe I could do some more. Why? Because passions for God's house will consume you. If Jesus said it, we should be able to say it. 
Because if he's living on the inside of you, that means he's going to change your desires. He's going to change what you love. And if he says passion for God's house consumes him, then really if you're in contact with him, passion for God's house will consume you. It will. Passion for God's house will consume you. Now let's look at First Chronicles. We're going to close with this. You guys getting something this morning? First Chronicles 29. And we're going to read here in a second before we take up this offering. So passion for God's house will consume me. That's what Jesus said. How much more us, we should be able to say that. Passion for God's house consumes me. Now, 1 Chronicles uh, 29, and we're going to read there in a moment. And this is the verse that we put on all the heart for the house envelopes. Because it's important. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, David. David in the temple. Now, we all know about David. We know David and Goliath. We know that... David was a man after God's own heart. It says in the Bible, more than any other man in the Bible, David was a man after God's own heart. That doesn't mean he was perfect, but he had the right heart. And something that is ongoing, if you read about David's life, you can't avoid this, is his love for the house of God. If you read the book of Psalms, so many times he talks about, I love your house, God. I can't wait till I get to the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of God. He says in the book of Psalms, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day serving in your house than a thousand elsewhere. If you read, you see his love for the house of God. He said, those who are planted in the house of God will flourish in the courts of our God. He loved the house of God. And we should, we should get the connection here. If God said, you're a man after my own heart, and he loved God's house, then that's God's heart. Because he talked time and time again about the house of God. The importance of the house of God. I love the house of God. I can't wait till I go to the house of God. I love God's presence in his house. I'm planted in the house. I'm building his house. You know, in in one translation, this is funny, we read this before. But in the message Bible of that verse talks about, um, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than, I think it's um, like an esteemed guest in the house of the wicked, something like that. In the message, it says something like this, and, and this is just this is awesome. He's, it says, I'd rather scrub floors in the house of God than be on Greek island beaches with the wicked. Now, I had to stop there. Now, stop there, David. Now, okay, I would skip Ministry of Helps for a Greek island beach just one Sunday at least. Come on now, David. You're doing too much right now. That's, that's too far. But notice, that's what it says in the Message Bible. He said, I'd rather scrub floors in the house of God than be an esteemed guest in the house of the wicked. That should be your heart. Why? Because you love God's house. But before we read 1 Chronicles 29 to set this up, David loved God's house. David was a worshiper. David wanted to build God a house. And in 1 Chronicles 29, this is really the end of David's life and Solomon's coming. And David at this time was the king. So since he was the king, he had a lot of money, to say the least. He had a lot of finances. He had a lot of gold, had a lot of silver. He was the king of Israel. David was at this time. But notice, even though he got promoted to that position, he still had the right heart. He loved God and he loved God's house. 
And we see his heart. He told God, I want to build you a house. And God had to say, you can't do it because you have been a man of war all these years. But your son's got to do it. Uh-huh. That's me. Son. He said, David can't do it, but Solomon's going to do it. But he didn't just leave it there. David realized, okay, since I'm not going to be able to actually build it, I'm going to help fund it. Go ahead, where's the check? Go ahead and fund that. (laughs) And so that's what David did. David said, okay, since I can't. Build it. Solomon's going to do it. I'm the king. I have a lot of money. I'm going to be a big giver into the vision to build God's house. So that's what 1 Chronicles 29 is all about. Let's read it. 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 1. It says, furthermore, King David said to all the people. He's talking to the whole nation right here. He says, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Now, I don't receive that. I received the young part. And the work is great because the temple is not for man before the Lord God. Verse 2. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might. Notice his whole heart was into this. It says gold for things to be made of gold. Silver for the things of silver. Bronze for the things of bronze. Iron for iron. He lists all these stones and wood. And he says, in abundance. He gave in abundance. Verse 3, it says, moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of God. Notice, I've set my affection or I've set my love. I've set my excitement. I've set my passion for the house of God. This is why I'm a giver. Not because I have to, because I want to. Not because somebody's twisting my arm to give in the heart for the house offering. Because I've set my heart to the house of God. I'm passionate about it. And he says, I've set my affection to the house of my God. And I have given to the house of my God over and above. This is what this offering is. I've given over and above all that I have prepared for this holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. And it goes and it lists all these things, 3,000 talents of gold, um, refined silver, walls of the house, gold, jewels, stone. In verse 6, this is what it says, Then the leaders... Of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of hundreds and thousands over the king's work, notice, offered willingly. Not because I have to, because I want to. In verse 7, they gave for the work of the house of God. Of course, it goes on, it says all the jewels and all the silver and all the gold they gave To the house of God. In verse 9 it says. Then the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly. Because with a loyal heart. They had offered willingly to the Lord. And David also rejoiced greatly. Now let me read what he says here. Now this is the reason you give. Because you're thankful. Because you're thankful. Now listen to what David says. Now, we could read through gold, silver, stone, wood, and act like it's not a big deal. This is millions of dollars worth of stuff. Millions of dollars worth of gold, silver, stone, wood. Not 10 bucks. Not 50 bucks. Millions of dollars worth of stuff. He's donating and giving to the house of God. But notice what he says in verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And he said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. 
O Lord, is your greatness the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. And yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted over all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might. And in your hand it is great to give strength to all. And let's jump down to verse 16. It says, and and Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand. And is all ready your own. Verse 17, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and you have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I am willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer to you willingly. Listen to that prayer that David gave. He said, this is why we gave all we gave. This is why I just literally gave millions and millions of dollars of my own treasury, which he's the king, so that means he has whatever he wants to have. Why? Because David's thankful. David's thankful. David's thankful for God keeping him all these years. David's thankful for his son. David's thankful for everything that God has blessed him with. David remembers back to when he was a shepherd boy and had nothing. Are you hearing me this morning? Can you remember back to when you had nothing? Come on now, somebody. Let's be thankful this morning. David's remembering back. I wasn't always the king. I wasn't always blessed. I wasn't always healed. I wasn't always delivered. But God did all this to me. So if I give something back to God that seems a little extravagant, is it a big deal? No, it's not. And he says right here, which is so true, everything we give you, God, is yours anyways. It's not a big deal. Everything you have in your life, It's not a big deal when you give it back to God. Why? Because it's already His anyways. The reason you have it right now is God has been gracious enough to you to give you what you have right now. And He says, with all this, all this abundance that I've given to the house of God, it's all come from your hand anyways. 